All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit, a podcast on how to make sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always, by Jackie Mitchell. Jackie? Hi. You ready for today? I am. All right, episode 32 today, we're going to go through Genesis 19, which is the story of the judgment and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. But it's also uh, the story of yet another rescue of Abraham's nephew, Lot, mm-hmm. which we've already seen <laughs> once. Yeah. And we're, we're going to, at the end, see some unseemly things from the people of Sodom. We'll see angels. We'll see the, the judgment of God. And we'll see how Lot and his family respond to that. So we've got an action-packed episode today. If you enjoy this podcast, throw us five stars. Review the pod on whatever platform you listen. And share with a friend if you found this helpful. It, it, it turns out, uh, basically, what we're doing, Jackie... Mm-hmm. is a line-by-line verbal commentary yeah. on, on, yeah. the, on the whole Bible. Uh, and so uh, it is to be determined on how far we get since we're only 19 chapters in <laughs> to the Bible. And there's uh, quite a bit more than 19 chapters in the Bible. Yeah, it turns buckle out. up, I guess. <laughs> but that, that's what we're doing right now. And I think it has the mm-hmm. potential to be a good resource for, for the church and for anyone who's interested in learning more about some of the strange and, and wonderful stories of the Bible. And so uh, we're going to get into that today. Jackie, before we get into it, we have to talk about what has turned out to be the most controversial segment of our podcast thus far. Yeah, absolutely. So we haven't had a lot of controversy. Right. But we have specifically had controversy around breakfast cereal. Uh, on an unbelievable scale. So if you remember, I don't, I don't remember what episode it was, but this was like towards the very beginning. We yeah. talked about favorite cereals and least favorite cereals. Mm-hmm. And I said grape nuts were terrible. Right. Because, and, I, and I took what you said because I'd never had it. I yeah. believed you. Well, I said that they're terrible because they are. Okay. So I made a correct judgment. Okay, in that. right. Okay. Uh, along the themes of what we've been talking about, seeing through the eyes of God and judging right. good and evil. Okay. So you did that with grape nuts. Grape nuts are bad. Right, okay. And they basically taste like cardboard. And hmm. I would say probably 10 people have stopped me in the hallway of our church or I've heard, you know, vicariously I've through another texts person from people too. Yeah, that they love grape nuts. Yeah, this is the biggest. Like we've said, you know, the Bible's inerrant. We've said like all <laughs> these like really like they're hard to digest, like scriptures yeah. stuff like that. And the thing we get the most pushback on is grape nuts. It's grape nuts. People love grape nuts. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, I don't we really didn't know, know what to say. I uh, it, besides telling people that they're objectively incorrect. I don't, oh, you're I don't gonna know double how to down. approach You're it. not going to accept like, oh, okay, for you, maybe that's true. No, because here's here's the okay. here's the reality. <laughs> Everyone I've talked to that says they like them, I say, well, how do you eat them? And they'll oh, say like, right. oh, well, I put sugar on them. I put sugar them. on them. It's that's like, what, okay. That is what someone told me. <laughs> and I said, well, that's grape nuts plus sugar. That's completely different. Or they're like, I add them to yogurt. I'm like, what kind of yogurt? They're like, you know, like the Sweetened vanilla yogurt, yogurt. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I might say grape nuts are fine too if you eat them like that. But that's not really the point. The point is like, if you put grape nuts in a bowl and you put milk on them, they're not good. Yeah. And so I hope that we don't lose half of our listener base, but you, you got to stay true to who you are. I mean, part, you got to stand up for what you believe in, John. Part of, the, part, of this, part of this podcast is that we have to teach the truth <laughs> and uh, we can't shy away from that. We can't back down from that, Jackie. So uh, thanks so for speaking. Uh, I'm not changing my position on grape nuts. Okay. But I will equivocate a little bit on like, okay, if you put them into a bowl full of vanilla yogurt, yeah, maybe they're fine. Okay. And I'll say I've still never had them. And I just said, okay, to what John said. So I'm a neutral party here. Well, you're also gluten-free. Yeah. You know, I can't eat Uh, them anyways. So, you know, they're, they're off your, your, they're on your dietary restriction list. I'm okay. (laughs) So I won't miss them. (laughs) You're actually not allowed to. Sounds like. (laughs) 
Okay, so uh, hopefully we don't lose a bunch of listeners, but uh, this is the nature of what we're doing. So let's re- let's review mm-hmm. where we came from. All right, so last chapter, uh, uh, chapter eighteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what did we see in chapter eighteen? So last week, um, kind of a strange story. Three men appear to Abram mm. and Sarah, or Abraham and Sarah, um, and so we've we talked about last week that that is. Yahweh himself, that's what mm. we would say a Christophany or that's Christ, um, pre-incarnate Christ yeah. and two angels. Um, so they change Abraham's, they change Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. Um, and so God will clarify some of that promise that he made to them earlier about having an heir. Mm-hmm. So he'll say, no, that's not Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Sarah's going to have mm. a baby. Right. And Sarah laughs. Yeah. And so... She she can't even believe that that's true, and yet God doubles down and says, "No, you you will have a son." Yeah, yeah. And you did laugh, and I know you laughed. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of scary. And then and then we see a weird kind of dialogue between Abraham and 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 Jesus and God um, about the destruction of Sodom, mm-hmm. right? The judgment of Sodom, and God yeah. says that He's heard Sodom's wickedness, like it's reached His ears. Yeah. Is what He says, right? Yeah. And so he's he's kind of inviting Abraham into his decision making on whether Sodom should be destroyed or not, which right. is just really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, the interesting or strange thing that we really went into detail with last time was that there's three men appear. Mm-hmm. Abraham immediately identifies this as an encounter with Yahweh. Yeah, he knows right away. That's true. And then at some point, when the dialogue is happening, it it starts to just say that Yahweh said, mm-hmm. God said. So it's not like the three men said, or mm-hmm. one of the three men mm-hmm. said, it just says that that God said. And so what we took from that is that this is like you said, a Christophany, mm-hmm. that that through church history and through the process that leads to the incarnation of, of Christ in flesh and blood, what we see throughout the, the Old Testament is that at times God does appear mm-hmm. in human form. And that doesn't mean that that's fully the incarnation as it will be with Jesus, but it does mean that uh, according to the Old Testament, God has a hypostasis mm-hmm. where he manifests himself and appears um, as a man. Mm-hmm. And so here it just says a man, but later it's going to say the angel of the Lord, mm-hmm. who in the dialogue will also be referred to as Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And this kind of answers some of the strange questions about why you can't see God and live, mm-hmm. and yet God appears to people. Yeah. Where, you know, you can't come face to face with God and live. And yet Moses speaks face to face with God and he mm-hmm. lives. And so it's like, well, how is that possible? Well, this is how it's possible because uh, God manifests at times in the old Testament as, as like a person mm-hmm. who then has an interaction or, or an encounter. So Abraham and Sarah have a son technically through Hagar. Yeah. Ishmael. Right. And he's 13 years old. And so right. he's about to get married. He's about to start a family. And the promises that God has given to Abraham and Sarah has have to do with the child. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, we have a child. So let's start this process. And yeah. God comes to them and says, well, that's actually not the seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will be blessed by the covenant, Ishmael and his descendants, but that's not actually who the promises are going to come through. And that's not who the, the covenant is going to be distributed through. Mm-hmm. And so because Abraham is 99 and Sarah's close to that age and they've never been able to have children, they, they both on separate occasions laugh. Yeah. And that's why Isaac will be named Isaac, Yitzhak, which means laughter mm. because it, it is actually funny. Yeah, but absolutely. That's, but that's the promise that yeah. through, uh, through Isaac, this son they don't yet have, that's how the promises are going to come. 
So then, like you said, the chapter ends with God sending angels to judge Sodom because Sodom is wicked. And Abraham argues with God because he's been invited into the divine council. And so uh, part of the being the mission carrier of God is that Abraham is supposed to exercise righteousness and, and justice yeah. as the, the covenant bearer mm-hmm. of, of God's promises. And so when God says he's going to judge Sodom, Abraham starts to argue with him. Yeah. And starts to say, well, what if there's righteous people in Sodom? And the question for Abraham, because he's encountered Sodom Mm -hmm. and he knows that they're wicked. He knows they're wicked, yeah. So I don't actually think that Abraham thinks that the judgment of God is not going to come upon Sodom. And Mm -hmm. I don't actually think he's arguing that it shouldn't. I think what he's arguing with God about is will the righteous be judged along with the wicked Mm -hmm. in the same way? And the answer to that question through this conversation is no. Yeah. And by entering into the, that conversation, arguing for what he argues for, Abraham is actually practicing the righteousness and justice mm-hmm. that he has been commanded to practice as the covenant carrier of Yahweh in the divine council. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to see uh, a little bit more of that. I don't remember if it's today or, or, or the next episode, but we'll see. Uh, I, it's actually the next episode. Um, we'll see that Abraham is called a prophet. Mm. And from this moment forward, prophets are those who are invited into the divine council Mm. to hear from God and to speak with God. And so what Abraham is, is the same thing that, you know, Isaiah is going to be and that Ezekiel is going to be these, Mm -hmm. these members of God's covenant who actually enter into the divine council and have conversations with him and get to, to, to speak like this with God Mm. and hear like this from God. Uh, And so um, as before we, we move forward and we're going to talk about, uh, if you've ever heard the term fire and brimstone, which we'll get into today, this is the verse that it comes from. This mm. is the chapter that that comes from. And we usually think of fire and brimstone as the judgment of God. And we wonder if that's okay for God to bring that kind of judgment on people. And uh, in our culture, um, we think that maybe God is a little bit too harsh when he does stuff like this and that mm. this isn't actually just of God. And so one thing that we're going to have to see is that repentance is always available. Yeah. Right. The wicked can repent. Mm-hmm. We we went through Jonah, yeah, right, a, a, yeah. a while ago, and that whole story is yeah. about that. Yeah, Jonah's mad, yeah, because they do repent, right? Uh, um, uh, Nineveh mm-hmm. is Sodom. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is the same thing. They're mm-hmm. just as wicked. The wickedness has risen up to God like a reverse ascension offering, where instead of you know smelling the 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 righteousness of a of a righteous sacrifice god smelling the rancidness of wickedness mm-hmm. and the blood that's spilled on the ground from these wicked and violent people and yet jonah goes and he preaches the gospel half-heartedly yeah and they repent yeah and so they're not judged yeah right so 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 uh repentance confession conversion is always available uh but and we'll even see this in the story of christ uh sin will be condemned and judged. Yeah, wickedness won't go on forever. If there's yeah. blood crying out from the ground, mm. the blood will be avenged yeah. by God. That That is scary, uh, but repentance is available. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to um, have that sin in your flesh where it's going to be condemned. Yeah. Uh, and that's part of the, when when sin is condemned in the flesh of Christ for us Christians, we enter into union with Christ and therefore sin has already been condemned. And that's Mm -hmm. why we aren't going to face this kind of, of, of fire and brimstone judgment, Mm -hmm. but sin is going to face that judgment. 
So the question is whether you're connected to Yahweh and made righteous by him or not. Yeah. And through repentance, that's always available. But, but if, if repentance is refused, then the judgment of God comes. Yeah. And, and we're going to see that here. Remember that Abraham uh, saved Sodom from Keterleomer. Yes. And then met Melchizedek. They worship God together. Yeah. And then the very next sentence is that he speaks to the, to the king of Sodom. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, you would think that the king of Sodom and therefore Sodom has a chance to repent. Mm-hmm. And what we start to see here is that, the, that they haven't and they won't. Yeah. And so the angels go to see what's going on in the city is the way that the text says, yeah. it, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's read uh, Genesis 19, one through three. The two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, breaking bread without yeast, and they ate. So a couple things to notice that we might not uh, that might not be intuitive to us. First of all, Lot is sitting at the entrance or the gate of the city. Yeah. So what this indicates uh, in, in this culture is that he's a person of prominence in the city. He has some kind of judicial authority mm. in the city, which makes sense because, you know, he comes from quite a stock, right? Yeah. I mean, he's wealthy, mm-hmm. powerful. Abraham's wealthy and powerful. So now he's in the city and he stands at the gate of the city because that's where the judge sits. Mm. And when he sees the angels, he bows down to them and offers them hospitality, which is exactly what Abraham did in the last chapter when he saw these same angels. Yeah, it seems like Lot recognizes them to some degree, just like Abraham did. Right, right. And so he offers to wash their feet, Mm -hmm. which is what Abraham did. He offers them uh, the shade and protection of his house, like Abraham offered them the shade and protection of the oaks of Mamre. Mm -hmm. And so you start to see some parallels here. Lot offers food uh, and, and bread, which is the same thing that Abraham offers to them. And so this is a feast and, and this is hospitality. So mm-hmm. this is um, a righteous response from Lot, right? Uh, one important detail about the food that Lot offers is that it says here that the bread he offers is without yeast. Yeah. It's unleavened bread. Mm-hmm. And so this will be the same food that the Israelites will be commanded to make before the Exodus in the next book of the Bible that we get yeah. to. And so uh, I think you might know what I'm going to say. This is a foreshadowing or a type of the Exodus. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a mini Exodus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Israel's supposed to know these stories. Mm. You know, by the time we get to the book of Exodus, these stories have happened. These stories are circulating. This is who they are. This is where they came from. And so they're supposed to know these stories. And so uh, when we get to the story of the Passover in Exodus, let's just say that the word goes around the night before that, that, that you're supposed to make unleavened bread. Well, if, you, if you're Hebrew, and you know these stories, what do you think about when you hear that you're supposed to make unleavened bread? Mm, as we'll see in the rest of the chapter, it feels like I might think, well, something's getting destroyed. This <laughs> city's getting destroyed. Yeah, you think, well, what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah yeah. after unleavened bread was made? Um, God's going to destroy Egypt mm-hmm. like he destroyed Sodom, and God is going to save us like he saved Lot. Yeah. That's mm. what we're going to see in this chapter. Um, and so they don't always do a good job of recognizing this, but that is part of the purpose of the life of Abraham is to foreshadow the, mm-hmm. the history of Israel. And so he offers God or he offers the angels this. And what's kind of interesting is that the angels resist at first. 
Yeah, they say no at first, and then he persists, and they're like, okay. Yeah, so, so I don't know if this is if this is splitting hairs, but it's not exactly the same thing that happened when Abraham offered them hospitality. Okay, that's true. They never refused Abraham. Right. They just they accepted sort of, it right away. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, I think what we're going to see and, and what we'll see throughout the rest of the Bible is that Lot is righteous. And that's mm-hmm. why he and his family are going to escape this judgment. But he's not quite like Abraham. Mm-hmm. Hmm. He doesn't quite have the relationship with God that Abraham has. And I think that's shown here. There's some mm-hmm. distance from God. And we've already talked about this, but part of the reason there's distance is because Lot has distanced himself from Abraham, mm-hmm. right? We talked about that extensively mm-hmm. a while ago when they separated and went their own ways. And, and he's living in Sodom now, which is wicked. Mm-hmm. So even though Abraham is righteous, uh, I'm sorry, even though Lot is righteous and will be delivered through this, it's 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 there's some contrast already yeah. between yeah, he and Abraham, sure. right? Yeah. All right, let's do four through ten. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, "Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them." Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, "No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man." Let me bring them out to you and you can do what you like with them, but don't do anything to these men for they have come under protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness so that they could not find the door. Yeah, so this is a disturbing story, right? Yeah. So men representing every part of the city. Young and old. Which mean, yeah. So which which is a, this is why Sodom's going to be judged. Yeah. Remember the conversation that Abraham had with God? Like, yeah. what if there's righteous people here? Well, this shows that there's not. Yeah, it says all men from every part of the city. So fully represented. Yeah. The city comes to Lot's door and demands to rape the visitors yeah. that he has. And then Lot offers his daughters. Right. Which, which is like, what what is going on here? Right. right? And, and there's really bad interpretations of this story. So I want to make sure that we slow down and go through what's happening. Yeah. So if you remember, um, Lot met the angels at the doorway or the gate of the city. Mm-hmm. And here he confronts the wicked men at the doorway of his house. Mm. So there's something about doors, the openings that that are are symbolically significant here. And if we go back to last chapter... Abraham met the angels and spoke with them while Sarah was where? She was in the doorway of the tent. She was in the doorway of the tent. And based on the promises that the angels make to Abraham in chapter 18, the doorway of the tent where Sarah is, who's promised a child, becomes a a, a place that represents new birth and new life. Mm. It represents a child. Mm -hmm. She stands at at the doorway of the tent and a child, new creation is promised. But here at this doorway, what does Lot do? He offers his kids up. The opposite. Yeah. This is a total contrast. So instead of being promised a child at the doorway of his house, he offers his daughters yeah. as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his doorway becomes a place of death instead of, of a place of life. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, the, the bad interpretations that I'm talking about, people will, will say like, this story is bad because... He offers his daughters, which means that like women aren't valued or whatever. Mm-hmm. And actually, uh, culturally, that may be true. Um, 
Theologically, the opposite is true. Yeah. This is showing that his daughters are valuable and the fact that he offers them is a complete and total contrast to what happened with Abraham and Sarah, Mm. where a child is offered to them. And here, Lot offers his children to wicked men. Mm. Uh, And so at the doorway, you know, the doorway is going to become important as we go forward. Jesus calls himself the gate. You remember that? Yeah. And in Exodus, the, the blood saves is put on the doorway. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, you know, look, Lot is not acting well here. Right. Which I don't think takes like a biblical scholar to, to see that. But who's with him? The angels. So they take control of the situation, even in the midst of Lot's sin. Yeah. And they grab Lot and then they blind the wicked men who are, who are you know, forcing themselves into the door. And that word here for, that we translate as blindness uh, or, or, or to make blind is it can mean that, but like technically the Hebrew word means like to be bedazzled. Oh, weird. So you think about like, um, like the, the glorious light of God coming upon you and being disorienting, right? Mm-hmm. So these are the angels that, that belong to God. And so, um, you know, it's almost like they, they don't understand mm-hmm. the glory of God. They don't understand the goodness of God. And when they encounter it, they can't comprehend it. And so they're disoriented, they're blinded, they can't see. And so it might mean that they're actually blind in this moment. Uh, but I think that more deep than that, it's a link to this theme that we've been talking about all along, which is that they can't see the way that God sees. Yeah, They're not seeing correctly. I mean, they come to the door, they want to rape these men who are inside. Uh, and when they encounter the angels, they can't see anymore mm-hmm. because it's God's way versus their way. Mm-hmm. And in that way, they, they certainly become blind. And so Lot says about his daughters, let me bring them out to you so you can do what you like with them is the yeah. translation. And so the actual Hebrew here is like woodenly, you can do what is good. Yeah. It's that same word tov that mm-hmm. we talked about in the creation story and mm-hmm. that we talked about in the story of David and Bathsheba um, in the book of Judges, which we will talk about here at the end because there's a very important parallel there's this refrain that says that in those days there was no king. And so everyone did what was good in their own, in eyes. Their own eyes. Right. Yeah. So Abraham's like giving his daughters to these wicked men saying, do what you think is good to them. And he knows they're wicked. Yes. And so this is yeah. uh, obviously, this is uh, obviously part of the thematic uh, progression that we've been seeing in terms of how we see versus how God sees the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yeah, and I'll say that we've seen Lot again and again, even though he is connected to righteousness, mm-hmm. he positions himself to be near wickedness mm-hmm. and lets that wickedness, you know, to some degree decide for him and his family. He's entrenched enough in the city yeah. that he sits at the gate yeah, as judge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see maybe what, what that starts to do. Yeah, to and him. here he is with these wicked men and he knows they're wicked and he says, you judge what you should do with my daughters. So the angels bedazzle them Mm. or blind them Mm -hmm. and they can't see. Um, But even here, you know, you have to think like repentance is possible. Mm. They get blinded and bedazzled in this moment. They can turn away from what they're trying to do, right? But instead they blindly continue to try to do the wickedness that they came to the house to do. And so they say this line that says, this one came as a foreigner, an alien, and he is now passing judgment on us. They're saying that about Lot. About Lot. Yeah. 
And so uh, that is true because he sits at the gate of the city, mm-hmm. right? And so he is an alien yeah. there who has some kind of judicial uh, position in the city. And uh, it, there's a story in Exodus. I'm just making some connections here where Moses has to flee into the wilderness because he kills an Egyptian who's messing with a Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So the next day after he kills this Egyptian and buries him, he sees two Hebrews fighting mm-hmm. and he says, stop fighting. Yeah. And they say, who made you judge over us? Are you going to judge? Are you going to kill us? Like you killed the Egyptian and then Moses has to flee, right? Mm-hmm. Who made you judge? It's the same language that, mm-hmm. that you see here. Who made you judge over us? Uh, and so now the two witnesses, the angels have seen the condition of the city. Right. Cause that's what they're there for. Right. They're Certainly evaluating. they've seen it by now. Yeah. They've gone there to evaluate for God. This is what they encounter. Mm-hmm. The, the, the blindness and the wickedness of the people. And so judgment is true justice. Yeah. Before I think in the last chapter, it's easy to read the last chapter and say, well, why would God judge a whole city? Mm-hmm. You get to the story and you're and you're like almost begging God to do something, right? Right. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we don't. We. It's like when you come face to face with evil, mm. you don't have a problem with this kind of justice from God. Wow. Yeah. When you intellectualize theoretical evil and sin and breaking rules, mm. then you do have a problem with it because it's sure. like, well, if I, you know, uh, if I don't go to church, should I be judged like? They're, like God's going to judge Sodom. That seems a bit harsh. Yeah. Well, it's not the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, n- no, I don't think that fire and brimstone is going to come upon your head because you don't go to church. The, the question is, what if you're the Nazis? Yeah. Mm. And what you see in history is that that does tend to be judged, mm. right? The blood does cry out from the ground. And so mm-hmm. here the angels have evaluated and they see what they've needed, that, that what they need to see. So let's do uh, 11 through 17. The two men said a lot. Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his son-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had been brought out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. So the grace of God comes upon Lot here. Yeah. And the angels tell him to flee the city and to go get his loved ones. They're connected mm-hmm. with him. And so they can, they can flee too. And when he tells his sons-in-law, uh, they laugh. Yeah. They think he's joking. They think he's, I think like a proper idiom is maybe having a laugh. Mm-hmm. They think he's having a laugh. And so this is the same word as Isaac. Mm-hmm. So again, you see the, the juxtaposition, right? Where life and death, um, the day of the Lord dawns and there's blessing and there's curse depends on where you stand, right? It depends on who you're aligned with. And so these men, these sons-in-law, are have obviously fallen in with Sodom. Yeah. And I, so their Yitzhak is not promise and blessing in life. Their Yitzhak is judgment and death. Oh, because they don't believe, they don't right? Believe. So here's Sarah and Abraham and laugh. 
But then they do what God says. Right. They laugh and they say, I don't know how that would be possible, but I believe that you will do it. And so I'll follow what you say. These men laugh and don't do what Lot says the Lord says to do. Exactly. Um, because they don't believe him because they're wicked. Right. Sarah and Abraham are righteous. Right. And they believe. Right. right? So, you you know, again, just like with the what happened at the doorway, being a juxtaposition between what you see with Lot giving his daughters and Abraham and Isaac, or Abraham and, and, and Sarah receiving a child. Yeah. Uh, here, you, you, you see the same kind of, of juxtaposition where they laugh and they move forward with righteousness. But mm-hmm. These sons laugh and they're wicked. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be destroyed. Uh, and so then it says, with the coming of dawn. Yeah. So this starts to get into what will be very thematic throughout the rest of the Bible, which is the idea of the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, when God comes on the day of the Lord, there's blessing and there's judgment. Mm. And all who are united to him in allegiance are blessed and those who oppose him and all that opposes him is judged. Mm. And this is always what's gonna happen when God comes and makes his judgment. And so we saw the blessing last chapter to Abraham happened in the heat of the day. Yes, yeah. Right, the day of the Lord, blessing. Uh, And so here you see that with the coming of dawn or the coming of a new day, (laughs) judgment is happening. Mm. And so there's blessing and there's judgment when the day of the Lord comes. And so there's significant language and symbolically here about, about day and night and all of that. And so Lot is offered salvation, but he hesitates. Mm. He's not sure he wants to leave. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, what do you think about that? It, well, it's interesting because, you know, I, I can't imagine what's here for him. Mm. I don't understand what is holding him back from here. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's surrounded by wicked people. And he's been saved once by Abraham. Mm-hmm. And yet he hesitates still. Yeah, it's interesting. Like think about your own life or the mm-hmm. life of people that you know, or, and probably both, but that we're all offered the salvation of Christ. Yeah. And we can accept that salvation and turn away from our other allegiances, turn away from other gods, turn away from other priorities and orient ourselves towards him. And so we can turn away from wickedness. And yet much of the time, it feels like we don't. We don't want to. We don't want to. Yeah. We're not sure if we want that. Which every time you read it in the Bible, it seems so clear, right? right? You're like, duh, leave Sodom. Right. That seems so obvious. Right. It's hurting you to stay. And then when you take that and and place that on your own life, somehow it's like, dude, I don't know. I don't know if God has my best interest in heart. Yeah. Right? Yeah. One of my favorite analogies Jesus uses uh, in in the gospels is that he tells his disciples to count the cost. Mm. Right, because maybe the cost is high. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's comforts and sure. things that you love that you have to leave mm. if you want to follow mm-hmm. God. I mean, Sodom was a prosperous city, so I'm sure that there were there there are comforts and benefits to living here. He has some kind of position of authority here. He's established himself yeah. in this city with his family to to some degree, and and so it's the same thing that happens with us. Like maybe we kind of like the wicked things that we're called to turn Mm. away from sometimes. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're not sure that what God has for us is actually better than the sin Mm -hmm. that we're enslaved Mm by. And so I'm not saying this to condemn people. And and honestly, I'm not saying this to condemn myself because I certainly struggle with this. I say this because we have to be honest. Yeah. You see this hesitation here and that's not novel. And it's not because Lot is dumb. Mm -hmm. It's because sin can be like 
it can be tempting. Yeah. It is tempting. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so so he's offered salvation here. He's not sure that he wants, he hesitates. It can cloud our judgment. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, he hesitates, but uh, what it says here is that God has grace and mercy for Lot. Yeah, the angels grab him <laughs> so by the hand. They, they grab him by the hand and lead him out of the city uh, with his mm. two unmarried daughters, which, so mm-hmm. I think these are different daughters. So he has sons-in-law. Well, I'll ask you about that. Cause they say the son-in-law who were pledged to be married to mm-hmm. his daughter. Right. Yeah. So there's so like, is that a, like maybe they're engaged kind of deal. There's an interpretive question okay. here because the, the options are either that he has two daughters who are married and he, they get caught in the judgment Okay. because the son's-in-law. Oh, like they stay behind with the son's-in-law. Yeah. That's a good point. And the, the reason that that is the interpretive, that's one of the interpretive options is because it says, uh, take the two daughters who are here. Okay. Which kind of indicates maybe, maybe there are daughters, daughters who aren't there. Because <laughs> you would never say that if there's just two daughters. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I don't okay, know. But, interesting. But, but, um, but he, he takes, you know, two of his daughters, the very daughters that he just tried to sacrifice, by the way. Right. Um, and so. <laughs> kind of an awkward family <laughs> escape. And so, uh, um, and, and they're offered salvation here. Yeah. Right. And so you can see this in, in your own life as well to, to draw another application. Like we very well might be hesitating and we might not be sure if we want to mm-hmm. leave and we might not be responding to the love and salvation of God the way that we should. And yet God still might be there knocking and calling and beckoning and grabbing our hands and moving us where he wants us. Yeah. And this is to no credit to Lot. He's done nothing yes. really in this. I mean, he's offered hospitality to the angels, mm-hmm. right? But beyond mm-hmm. that, he can't save himself from this situation. Certainly his solution wouldn't have saved him. The angels stop him from his solution. Right. So it's well, only by the grace of God that he's saved. And it says that. Yeah. It says the angels grab him by the hand because the mercy yeah. of the Lord was yeah. on him. Right. Yeah. So Lot ends up getting saved right. because of the grace of God. Yeah. That's it. Um, and so the angels command him to go to a mountain. Mm-hmm. And we've talked symbolically before that mountains seem to be the place where you meet with God. Mm. <laughs> and so in a moment, we're going to see that Abraham looks down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and he's going to see that it's destroyed. And the question is, well, why is he looking down? Oh. Because he's on a mountain, yeah. right? So, so the oaks of Mamre where he's stationed are somewhere in the mountains looking down on the valley of Sidim, the valley yeah. of, of, of Sodom. And so I think that it's very likely that Lot is being told to go back to that mountain, mm-hmm. to go back to Abraham, right? The whole predicament that he's in and the, the whole predicament that preceded this with Keter Laomer is because he separated from Abraham. Right, yeah. And so when the angels tell him to go back to the mountain and in the next, you know, uh, by the end of this chapter, we're gonna see that Abraham's standing on a mountain. Mm. I think that God wants him to go back to Abraham, mm. go back to the blessing, right? Yeah. And so let's see how Lot responds, 18 through 22. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Not a good start. Right. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me and I'll die. Look, here's a town near enough to run to and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, very well, I will grant this request too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town was called Zoar. Yeah, so Zoar means uh, small. Okay. And so it's a small well, place outside yeah, of sense. Sodom, right? In, in, in the same valley. But Lot says no. Yeah. To the angels. Yeah. 
and he offers an alternative. It's so interesting because he he trusts that the angels have the power to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. And yet he still doesn't believe that maybe they have his best interest in mind. Yeah, exactly. And remember the last time that he kind of did something righteous, which was the men were trying to rape the angels. And he says, don't do this. Okay, yeah, good. Good. And then his alternative is do it to my daughters instead. Bad. Bad. Right. So here he's going with God. Yeah. Which is good. And God says, flee the city. And so he's fleeing the city with the angels. Uh, and then the angels, I think, say, go back to Abraham, go back mm-hmm. to the mountain. And he says, no, how about I do this instead? And yeah. just like God accommodated him by saving him, even though he was doing this thing with his daughters and hesitating, here God accommodates him again. The angels uh, accommodate him and they give him deliverance anyways. Yeah. And so... Um, this is like straight Noahic covenant stuff, right? Yeah. We're wicked. Yeah. And yet God's going to work through us. Yeah. So Lot has something to do with the promise of God and he's not responding the right way Mm -hmm. here. He's not responding to the love and salvation of God the way that as you're reading the story, you think he should. And yet the angels who represent God continue to accommodate that Mm -hmm. because that's how we are. Mm -hmm. If God's going to go forward with his images then he's going to go forward with these kinds of images. Yeah. And and so you start to see that here. And so they go mm-hmm. to Zoar instead and they're spared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So even despite all of these like missteps and kind of bad responses, bad instincts, whatever you want to say, they're saved. Yeah. And so let's do 23 through 26. By the, to- by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Yeah. So here's this theme about the sun again, Mm -hmm. right? As the sun had risen over the land. And so again, this is day of the Lord stuff. When the day of the Lord comes, there's blessing and there's judgment, depending on where you stand uh, with God or opposed to God. And it has come about uh, this 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 day. And so the judgment of the wicked and the blood that cries out from the ground about to take place, Yeah. right? And so the burning sulfur that comes down from heaven here is, you know, technically fire and brimstone. Fire and brimstone, right? okay. And so if you ever heard that idiom, that's where this verse is where it comes from, right? Yeah. And typically when people talk about fire and brimstone preaching, they're talking about preaching about judgment, mm. right? And that's why, because that's what the story is about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what comes from the sky as as an act of judgment from God. So then Lot's wife looks back and becomes a pillar of salt. Yeah. Right? And so she faces the same judgment. So so what does this mean? Like, is this this punishment just for like looking back? Like they said, don't look back, but she did it. So now Mm -hmm. she gets killed and turned into a pillar of salt. Um. So we got to think, you know, symbolically again. And in the Bible, pillars are memorial stones. Mm -hmm. So you set up pillars to remind you of something. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, what is the pillar that Lot's wife turns into? What is that supposed to remind us of? Mm. Well, we've already seen this theme when Lot and his family hesitate, right? The angels had to take them by the hand to deliver them Mm -hmm. because they weren't sure if they wanted to leave Sodom. Mm -hmm. Um. In Exodus, God's going to deliver the people through the Red Sea after all those plagues and after the Passover. 
and, and, and he's going to destroy Pharaoh and the Egyptian army in front of their eyes. And as soon as they get to the other side, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they look say, back. Yeah. They're like, you know, it was better in Egypt, really. Yeah. They, like they, we had food there. At least we had food. And we're hungry here. Yeah. And so they, they turn and they look back. Uh, and so this is like a type of that. This is mm-hmm. a precursor of that. And so Lot and his family have been offered deliverance. They aren't sure they want it. They hesitate. They're graciously delivered anyways, but then Lot's wife looks back. Yeah, again. Like she doesn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Like she wants to go back. And we've talked about the, the passive, you know, the quote unquote passive judgment of God. Sometimes God gives us what we think we want. Mm. this is what happens to the Israelites before they go into the promised land, right? And they say, we don't want to go in there. And he said, okay, then you'll, this generation will die in the wilderness. Yeah. You can have what you want. Um, and so, so here, um, they, she looks back because she's, she's not sure that she wants to leave Sodom. Yeah. And so C.S. Lewis says, at the end of the day, there are two types of people in this world. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Yeah. And so in the masterful way that only C.S. Lewis can wordsmith, uh, this is a beautiful understanding of the typical judgment of God. Yeah. Lot's wife gets what she wants. Mm. She gets Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah is judged and destroyed and she looks back because she wants Sodom. And so she gets Sodom Mm -hmm. and she's turned into the same thing that Sodom is turned Mm -hmm. into, which is, which is salt. Mm. And so this pillar or this memorial stone is supposed to remind Israel of this. You know, that's what, that's what pillars are for. And so they're supposed to remember this story. They're supposed to remember what happened and they're supposed to not do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And what we'll see when we get there is that they do exactly the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, so, so let's do 27 through 29. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land, like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Yeah, so Abraham looks down from the mountain that he's standing on, Mm -hmm. and he sees the judgment of God. And so it's kind of like Noah, when Noah is on the ark, and he's looking out the window, seeing the judgment of God upon mm-hmm. the world, right? Mm-hmm. And so Abraham sees the destruction, but he is spared. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of interesting because uh, it doesn't seem like he knows that Lot has been saved. He knows Lot's there, right? Yeah. He knows that's where Lot lives. Yeah. And I don't think he knows that Lot's been saved. And there's really no other mention about Abraham dealing with Lot from here on out. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if he ever knows that Lot was saved. And how interesting because what may have happened, we've said, is that the angels tell Lot to go back to Abraham. Mm -hmm. But in giving Lot what he wants, we don't know that Abraham ever sees Lot again. And so Lot's never reconnected to the blessing in the same way. Right. Right. So we've already gotten questions about, because we're kind of being negative about Lot in these stories. True. I think that's the correct interpretation, yeah. but people are curious because in, I think it's in Second Peter, it says that Lot was righteous. Mm. And so he is, and he is saved uh, ultimately, but he's just not quite like Abraham. And he has disconnected himself from the promise yeah. and all the things that he's dealt with, all the, everything that happened with Keterleomer, everything that's happened here with them, with this horrifying situation, it's all because he's in Sodom instead of with, with Abraham. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so, uh, 
um, Abraham looks down and he sees this. Now, the, the one, one of the reasons I think this verse is stuck in here is because we're going to read next chapter that all of a sudden Abraham goes south hmm. and ends up in, uh, with the Philistines. And it doesn't say why he goes. And so one of the reasons is because, well, the valley that he is on top of a mountain looking down is all gone. It's destroyed. And turned to salt. Yeah. So he probably has to leave. Yeah. Right? He probably has to flee. He's, he's pushed out. Um, and so I think that's why this is here. So mm-hmm. let's do 30 through 38 and that will end the chapter. Uh, but this is an important section. Mm-hmm. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar and settled in the mountains for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. One day, the older daughter said to the younger, our father is old and there's no man around here to give us children as in the custom all over the earth. Let's get our father to drink wine and then sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. That night they got their father to drink wine and the older daughter went in and slept with him. He was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger, last night I slept with my father. Let's get him to drink wine again tonight and you go in and sleep with him so that we can preserve our family line through our father. So they got their father to drink wine that night also and the younger daughter went in and slept with him. Again, he was not aware of it when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites today. The younger daughter also had a son and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. So the Moabites and the Ammonites, right? Mm. So Lot and his daughters leave Zoar and they settle in the mountains, which... At first, maybe upon reading it, it might seem like that's good because the angels told them to go to, yeah. to the mountain, right? But like we discussed, he's probably telling them to go to Abraham's mountain and that's not where they go. Yeah. And what we see here is that actually Lot and his daughters are settled in a cave. Hmm. So biblical symbolism tends to parallel caves with death. Because if you live inside a cave, you're technically living inside the ground. Sure. If you think about it, right? And uh, the ground is where you go when you die, Mm. right? From the dust you came to the dust you shall return. And so when Jesus dies, they put him in a tomb and they put him in a cave Mm. because that's where dead people go. In Genesis 23, when Sarah dies, she's buried in a cave. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that Lot and his family are living in a cave means that they're living in death or at least close to death. And and you can can see that regression through the chapter, right? And... um, uh, then there's this like weird and, and awful story about Lot's daughters doing something to him in a tent. Yeah. So the bells should start to ring in our heads in terms of what we've read Absolutely. already. So what does it sound like? Noah and his sons. Yeah. The uncovering of Noah and his tent. Mm. So Noah and his sons are delivered mm-hmm. from God's judgment. Right. <laughs> uh, and they get off the ark and Noah gets drunk on wine. Mm-hmm. You see here. And one of his sons goes into his tent and uncovers his nakedness, which you see here. Mm -hmm. And what we've discussed many times is that that son, Ham, tried to seize what was not his to take. He tries to seize his father's authority. I don't think that what Ham did to to Noah is a sexual sin, Mm. but it it does have to do with Noah's nakedness and drunkenness and his authority, taking what doesn't belong to him. Uh, And so when when you read this story, um, you know, Lot and his daughters are delivered from the fire from heaven and they settle in the cave and the daughters get Lot drunk and they sleep with him. Mm -hmm. It's like very, very similar to to that story with Noah and his sons. 
and there's parallels here that, that we'll get to at the end. Um, and so I, I think, you know, let's talk about the obvious first. Uh, incest is a sin. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be outlined in detail in Leviticus. Yeah. Right. But this is actually deeper than that, I think. So at this point, Lot is in charge of finding husbands for his daughter. Mm-hmm. This, this was the custom at the time. Either the brother, if there were brothers, or the father handled the daughter or the sister's business in this way. And so, you know, you kind of feel for the daughters here in a sense, because they just saw everything that they had ever known be destroyed by fire and brimstone. Mm. And so they don't think that there's anyone left on earth. Yeah, right. They don't have the conception of the world the way that we do. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's a good point. There's five cities down there that they just saw completely destroyed and they're unmarried. And so uh, what what the verse uh, technically says is that it says there's no man around here in our translation, but what it technically says is that there's no man on earth. Yeah. That's the Hebrew. To there, them in there, their minds. There's no man on yeah. earth. And so we have to do this. So they see the situation at hand and they do what is right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. They try to take mm-hmm. what they want, which is for the line to continue to have children, just like we see over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. We just saw Sarah do that with Hagar. We will continue to see this as we go forward. This is what it looks like to not trust God, to take what you think you need because you don't believe that God is going to give it to you. Yeah. So in a way, this is a recapitulation of the sin of Ham. That's what he tried to do. Mm -hmm. He tried to take what wasn't his, Mm -hmm. uh, even though he was the heir. Yeah. Right? He he was was one of of the heirs. He was the son of Noah. What was Noah's would become his, and yet he saw it available, and he didn't want to wait, and he didn't trust, and so he tried to take it. You see Mm -hmm. the same thing here uh, from, from the daughter's. But I actually think that Lot, again, is kind of at fault in all of this. Sure. Because he's in charge, mm-hmm. right? He is the one who's communicated with the angels. He's the one who's supposed to care for and guard his daughters. He's supposed to go to the mountain where Abraham is. Mm-hmm. He's not supposed to be in a cave, but here they are in a cave. And the depravity that ensues stems from that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so Lot is also responsible for this, just like Adam was responsible in the garden. Mm. Even though Eve ate the apple, Adam's the one who was told to guard it and protect it. He was the one who communicated with God. He's the one who received the promise and the instructions. And so uh, here you see the same thing with with Lot, I think. Mm. Um, so when we look at the parallel between the story of, of Ham and Noah and this story, uh, it gets very interesting because what's the curse that God places or that, that Noah places on ham. That his, um, his offspring will mm. be servants to the other offspring, right? Yeah. And who, who are his offspring going to be? You remember? The Canaanites, right? The Canaanites, yeah. right. Right. Um, so the daughters get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And um, who are their children going to become? The Moabites and the Ammonites. Yeah, you know what they are? Hmm. Canaanites. Really? So, uh, instead, you know, instead of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed and Lot and his family heading into a new world back to Abraham and the promise, Lot and his family actually produce a new Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. Because Moab and Ammon are going to be antagonistic to the people of God throughout the rest of the story. Yes. Yeah. So, it seems like, you know, um, he can go reunite with Abraham Mm-hmm. Abraham has thousands of people. Right. There's, there's husbands for his daughters there, right. but that's not where he takes his daughters. He takes them to a cave. So they take matters into their own hands and they, they have these you know illegitimate children by him. And those children go on to become the very 
type of nations that was just destroyed mm-hmm. by Sodom. Instead yeah. of new promise, they recapitulate the same thing. And in Zephaniah 2.9, which I'm sure everybody's read, <laughs> the most popular <laughs> But just read it one Bible, more time, just in case someone hasn't. It says this, Therefore, as surely as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become mm. like Sodom, the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people will plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their lands. Mm. So they come, the Moabites and the Ammonites come from Sodom and Gomorrah, from the daughters of Lot who were just delivered. And instead of that turning into a new day of beautiful new promise, it turns into them producing a people that's exactly the same, Mm. where the prophet Zephaniah explicitly compares the Moabites and the Ammonites to Sodom and Gomorrah that was just destroyed. Mm. Um, And so again, you start to see how these themes start to to come together like this and and, and tell a story. Um, Now look, these stories are supposed to be internalized by Israel as a warning. You know, God will deliver you, but you have to be faithful to the blessings. Yeah. You have to be faithful to the covenant in order for the blessings to come. And so Israel is going to be called to be unique, holy, and set apart from the nations, which basically means the Canaanites and the Egyptians. And they're, but, but they're, they are free in a sense to act like the nations, mm. right? But if they act like the nations, then they will be judged like the nations. Yeah. If they act like his holy, unique, beloved possession, then they'll be treated like that. Mm. And that's the tension that we're going to see all the way through the rest of the Bible, the Old Testament with the people of God. Yeah. And so when you, when you kind of get into the formation of the nation of Israel and the taking of the promised land, um, you know, they're delivered from slavery in Egypt. They wander around in the wilderness for 40 years and they kind of act like Canaanites, yeah. rebellious against God. And then God gives them the law and eventually gives them the promised land. And when you get to the book of Judges, which is after the conquest, you start to see the people of God acting more like Canaanites than God's people. Yeah. And at the end of the book, there's this brutal scene mm-hmm. that if you just read it by itself, it will, it will kind of like terrify you. You know, yeah. I think Tim Mackey says that, that he watched his wife read this scene and throw her Bible across the room Yeah, because of how brutal it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what I want to do is I just want to show this connection here to show you what that story is saying in light of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this is Judges 19, 10 through 30. So, so these are Israelites. These are the people of God. And says this, uh, unwilling to stay another night, the man left and went towards Jebus, that is Jerusalem, with his two saddled donkeys and his concubine. And when they were near Jebus and the day was almost gone, the servant said to his master, come, let's stop in the city of the Jebusites, which is Jerusalem and spend the night. And his master replied, no, we won't go into any city whose people are not Israelites. We'll, we'll go on to Gibeah. And, uh, He added, come, let's reach Gibeah or Ramah and spend the night in one of those places. So they went on and the sun set as they neared Gibeah and Benjamin. And there they stopped to spend the night. And they went and sat in the city square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man from the hill country of Ephraim who was living in Gibeah, the inhabitants of the place were Benjamites. So they were people of God came in from his work in the fields. And when he looked and saw the traveler in city square, the old man asked, where are you going? Where did you come from? And he answered, we are on our way from Bethlehem and Judah to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim where I live. 
I have been to Bethlehem and Judah, and now I am going to the house of the Lord. No one has taken me in for the night. We have both straw and fodder for our donkeys and bread and wine for ourselves and your servants, me, the woman, and the young man with us. We don't need anything. You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need, only don't spend the night in the square. And so he took him into his house and fed his donkeys. And after they washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. And while they were enjoying themselves, some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house. Pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. And the owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. And so the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying and fell down at the door and lay there until daylight. And when her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine fallen in the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Mm -hmm. And then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. And when he reached home, he took a knife and cut up his concubine limb by limb in 12 parts and sent them into all the areas of Israel. And everyone who saw it was saying to one another, such a thing has never been seen or done, not since the day the Israelites came up out of Egypt. Just imagine, we must do something. And so speak up. Hmm. So this is basically a copy paste story from what we just read, right? Yeah. Send the man who is your visitor let me have, and let us have sex with him. Uh, instead, I'll have my daughter, mm. and my concubine. This time, he gives his concubine, and they do to the concubine what they want to do to the to the men to the men who are staying there, and she dies. Yeah, and uh, he he cuts her up and sends her out to all parts of Israel. There's almost a civil war mm-hmm. about this, and uh, so so this is like 600 years later, mm-hmm. and this time. Who are the people who are acting wickedly? It's Israelites. It's not the Canaanites. Yeah. It's the Israelites are acting exactly like the Canaanites. And so the book of Judges shows what happens when we stray from God. We become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Right? And so this, this story is a foreshadowing. What does it look like when we stray from God? Mm. What does it look like if we're unrepentant? Mm. Well, even God's blessed people will turn into Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. And so the book of Judges ends with that refrain I told you about. In those days, there is no king. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, what's it look like when we do what's right in our own eyes? Mm. Well, we look like Canaanites. Yeah. Well, what's the, what, what is the, the prophecy about the Canaanites? Mm. Judgment and curse, right? So when we disconnect ourselves from gods like the Canaanites and we act like the Canaanites, mm-hmm. that's what's there for us, right? Yeah. Um. And so one of the things about the Bible is that these stories, they're connected to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when you read the story of Judges, those bells aren't going to go off in your head. Right. And you're not going to see that connection. And so you're just going to read it as a brutal story, mm-hmm. right? And it is a brutal story, mm-hmm. right? But part of that is because when we're away from God, we're brutal. Absolutely. Right? We do these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so when you read the Bible, the way that we're, we're trying to teach people to read it, you start to make those connections 
And the application to your own life is that you too could become Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Or you could become Abraham. Yeah. Right? Th- mm. th- those are the choices that, that lay before us. Those are the paths that lay before us. That's why Jesus says, you know, go down the narrow road and it leads to life or go down the broad road. It leads to destruction, but it's there in front of you. Yeah. And so mm. what is destruction? Sodom and Gomorrah, because yeah. the judgment of God will condemn sin. Mm-hmm. What is the blessings of the narrow road? Well, it's Abraham and and what ends up being Israel and Christ and, and the church. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is this is the story of the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. A very important story as we go forward. Jesus mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. Like I said, the prophets mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah. It's it's a type, it's a foreshadowing of of the judgment that comes upon those who who are unrepentant mm-hmm. and continue mm-hmm. uh to 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 be wicked. Um I think we might have talked about this last time, but the blood that cries out from the ground will be avenged by God. Yeah. That is not necessarily a good thing for us. Depends on whose side you're on. Yeah, if we have blood on our hands, right? It's not a good thing. And we're not in Christ yeah. and we're not cleansed by him. Um the the babies in Exodus mm. are are killed. And how are they killed? We're thrown into the Nile River. So then when God turns the Nile River into blood, whose blood is that? Yeah. It's the babies. The blood that cries out from the ground is advantage. And so the judgment of God is real. Mm-hmm. The reason that it's not supposed to be used as a fear tactic is because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Mm. because sin has been condemned in the flesh of Christ, Mm -hmm. right? And in terms of the final judgment of where people go, whether resurrected into new life or resurrected into the uh, eternal separation from God, that is not something I'm ever comfortable making a judgment about. Mm. So um, I don't have answers for people in terms of like, well, what about this person? He was a good person, didn't believe in Christ, didn't believe in God but you know, kind of lived, like, I don't know. Mm. All I know is that the sin that is not cleansed by Christ will be judged. Mm -hmm. So it depends on what the condition of that sin is in the moment of the day of the Lord. Mm. And we see that here. Uh, And yet we also see the graciousness of God because quite frankly, when you read the story, it kind of seems like like a lot should have been punished as well, right? Yeah, if it was up to us. (laughs) I don't like what he did with his daughters. Yeah. I don't think that he should have tried to sacrifice his daughters. Right. Right. That seems like a wicked thing to do. And yet the the grace of God saves him anyways. Yeah. And that is the story of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We are we are all uh, in that condition apart from the grace of God, the, the forgiveness of Christ and, yeah. and the, the uh, empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the only other thing to touch on here is... Uh, is that you know? As we go forward, you start to stack these stories in your head, and you start to to use them to understand what's going to happen in redemptive history. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think about Noah. You think about the garden. You think about the fall. You think about Noah. You think about Abraham. You think about Abraham with Keterleomer. You think about uh, Lot here in Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about what's coming next chapter with Abraham and the Philistines, and those stories start to become. Uh, like the mosaic of redemption starts to be put yeah. together, right? And, yeah. and and that I think is probably the the most, you know, textured, helpful way to read the Bible. Absolutely. And so this story is important. I hope that, that this was helpful. Jackie, you have anything else? That's all I've got. All good? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we will see you guys next week on Story Simple Spirit. Mm-hmm.